At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? Father, I just want to pray right now as we go into a moment where we're going to dig into your word. And we just want to welcome your Holy Spirit into this room right now. And we know that we carry our baggage, we carry our our hurts, we, we carry our mental health, we carry our depression, we carry our marriage, we carry our financial struggles, we, we carry a lot, and we know that we cannot get through this world on our own. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. So I pray that we give this to you. Uh, so often we hold tight to, to the things of this world. I pray that we can release our hands and give these things into you and welcome your Holy Spirit here and into our hearts. God, we pray over uh, this moment that we're going into with your word and study. Let our hearts be attentive. Let us hear and, and learn what you want us to hear and learn. We love you and we pray this all in your name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat for me. admit something really quick, and it's probably going to come as a shock to many of you. When I was young, I had issues with authority. <laughs> Are you so surprised by this? Whether it was my parents telling me to go to bed, why would I want to go to bed? There's Xbox calling my name. Whether it was my teacher telling me to be quiet and not talk to my friends. I mean, what's school for other than socializing, right? Whether it was the school bus driver telling me to sit down. Whether it's a sign saying, don't touch wet paint. I mean, these things have always been a tension in my life. And so when you think about authority... There's so many in this world that battle authorities that God has put in, into their life. And, and you think about it, if there's any time that we've known that people have issues with authority, it's been over the last couple years. It doesn't matter how old, how young, which generation you're from, which political stance, ethnicity, None of it matters. People have issues with authority. And the Ephesian church was no different. They had issues with God-given authority. And so we got this letter to Timothy, and he's at the church of Ephesus, and he's going through a whole bunch of stuff, right? We've been talking about this for nine weeks. We're actually going to finish this series next week, our final message and our final piece of scripture in 1 Timothy. And, and when it comes down to it, 
You know, he's talking about authorities in the church. He's talking about authorities in the home, authorities in the workplace. And so this is something that has been a consistent issue even in first century church. And so we're going to be digging into it. But ultimately, what we need to be reminded of is that Christians under authority serve a higher authority. Christians under authority serve a a higher authority. Because even though we serve an earthly authority, our our main authority is God. And and here in these first couple verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see this on full scale. And so I want to jump into it. And what we see, and I want to speak on the reality in first century world, on slavery. Because what we're talking about, we see in certain English translations, it'll use the word slavery for the first verse and second verse of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Or you'll hear the word bondservant. And so when looking into the text, and I study and I teach from the English Standard Bible, and so that's something that we do often here as we learn. And and what we see is the translators, they believe there was, there was a distinction between bondservant and slave enough that they used the term bondservant. And so when you look at bondservant, it's a little different than what we would understand as someone under slavery. You know, a bondservant in first century, they weren't taken from their homes, kidnapped. They weren't taken based off race. Actually, it's believed in the Roman Empire that there were about 50 to 60 million slaves. It's about a third of the Roman Empire. And so you got the the church of Ephesus. You have other uh, towns in that region. Maybe it's Corinth, Rome. Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And so it's believed that the city of Ephesus, a third of the city were slaves, which probably meant a third of the congregation were bondservants. So again, you think about this, the reality of bondservant slave, nonetheless, the reality was that we're talking about people who were owned by individuals. You know, what we see in the text, Paul never affirmed that this was good. He never once said this was okay. But the reality that they were facing was a large portion of their city, of their church, were bond servants. So he spoke into this. So let me give you some context. Context is huge. We say this often. We have to understand what's going on. So first century bond servant, how it was, was they were educated, majority of the time high education. Most of the time, people would not even be able to distinguish between a bond servant and a person who was a master. And, and, and almost... Like an ambassador, the bond servant dressed, was educated, and spoke on behalf of their master. And, and so in these cases, education, um, 
Uh, a lot of bond servants, they chose to go into being under someone because they understood they would have a better quality of life or they'd have better education or better uh, in raising their kids. And they could, in most cases, work their way out of being a bond servant. So it's very different from what we understand in the United States as slavery. So in this case, with a bond servant, they were regularly given the same social status as their owners from outward appearance, but there was something going on that led to some tension enough that Paul had to write this to Timothy. We had some bond servants who were battling against the authorities of their owners. And so even though, again, there's no, never a support in the word of, of slavery, he does speak into, hey, this is the structure of the world at the time. How are we supposed to uh, live when we have someone that's an authority in our life? And so in this case, the question is very practical for us. Because every person in this room has authorities. And so how are we to live in response to the God-given authority over us? How, how are we supposed to live? And so Paul, he gives us some insight in, in how we're supposed to live in light of the God-given authorities in our life. And, and the reality is that we have God-given authorities who, who are Christians and non-Christians. And so how do we respond first to those who are not believers? You think about it. We have faith. How do we respond to those who don't have faith? We see that we are to respond with honor. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Let's jump into the first verse of chapter 6. This is what it says. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So we see there at the end, it, it says, so that the, it may, the teaching may not be reviled. We honor under this yoke because we don't want the gospel to suffer because of our actions. You know, on the front of that, it talks about a yoke. And many of you have heard maybe of a yoke and how it's this wooden structure that goes around animals, calf, oxen. And usually there's two of them and it's used for plowing or hauling things. And this, this yoke is to bear this heavy load for something. And in some case, when someone's a captive, they had a yoke. And so when Paul's talking, he's not talking about anyone taken into captivity. He, he's talking about those who are under authority. And so with this yoke and with the case of these bond servants and their masters, he's telling them, hey, if you're serving under masters who are not Christians, it doesn't matter. Regard them as worthy of all honor. Respect them. Honor them. Why? So that the name of God and the teaching 
may not be reviled. And you got that phrase, name of God. This actually only appears in two other places in the Bible. And it has everything to do with his character. It has everything to do with his nature. And Paul's concern, his major concern here, is their bad behavior will actually lead people further away from God. That by their lives, people aren't going to want anything to do with Christ because we're, we're representatives of him. We're image bearers. Have you guys ever had someone in your life who claimed Christ but looked so different than Christ? Have you ever (laughs) claimed Christ and looked so different than Christ? So whether we have witnessed it or or we've been that person, maybe even we've experienced times where people have called us out. You call yourself a Christian and you live this way? Why would I want anything to do with your Christ, with your church, with your God, when you live this way that's so different than what you're preaching? We know that so many in this world have walked away or have never even given a chance because there are people who claim Christ with their words, but their life is very different. And so we see here, Paul knows it. The the first century church of Ephesus, they were struggling with this too. And and he wanted to protect the gospel. Why do we do that? Why do we honor? Why do we work harder? Because we want the name and the gospel not to be reviled, not to be loathed, not to be despised, not to be hated. Sadly, this is not the first time Paul called out the Ephesian church. Four years earlier, he wrote a letter called Ephesians. And so he's writing to 1 Timothy, who's at Ephesus, and then he actually wrote a letter of Ephesians, and they still were struggling with this four years later. But let's look, let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6. This is what it says, bondservants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or he's free. You see a theme here? Again, none of us today are bondservants. None of us in this text understand what it's like to be a bondservant. But what we do understand is what it's like to be under authority. I can't think of a better place than where you work. And some of us, maybe we're retired, maybe we stay home with the kids, maybe we, you know, have been on a little sabbatical. Whatever it is, we probably, everyone in this room has probably had a workplace boss. Have you guys had some good bosses? Yeah? 
Have you guys had some duds? Whoa, okay, yep. Right? The truth is that we probably had authority figures who weren't the best. They didn't deserve respect. They don't deserve honor. They're slime balls. They do things shady. They don't care about the employees. They don't care about the customers. You're telling me I got to honor and respect them? You're telling me that, that, that's what I got to do? And what we see here is that in the workplace, this is a golden opportunity for us to take the high road. For us to understand that in the workplace, people get to see who we really are. They get to see us when we are pushed to our limits. They get to see us when we are frustrated, when we are stressed, when we're under pressure, when the boss is away and everyone's venting. People get to see how we respond. How many people here, show of hands, you're here because someone at work invited you. Is there anyone who's here because someone at work or someone you worked with before invited you? Yep, we have multiple people. So you got to think, maybe you're not going to reach your boss. Maybe you're not going to have that impact that you hope on them. But what about your coworkers? They're going to see how you choose to respond. You can't control them. You can control you. And it's a golden opportunity to be the gospel in your workplace. And this is something I want to get very real with. Because I think in, in the church and in my experience, people tend to say, hey, this is, this is free game. You cannot separate our work from our worship. You can't just say, hey, I'm this way because that's just how the industry is. But at home, you know, I'll be Christ. I'll be good. I'll be a good Christian man or woman. That's not true. I'm not saying we got to be pushovers. I'm not saying we got to be yes men. I'm not saying we're not firm. Being a Christian doesn't mean you just turn around and let people walk over you. But what it does mean is that we should be the same at work and at home. And yes, there's difference in regard of what tasks we have. But we honor Christ at home. We honor Christ at work. We honor Christ on the road. We honor him with our families. No matter where we are, we want to be Christocentric in all we do. We want to have Christ in every aspect of our life. And so when we're at work, when things are tough, how do we respond? Titus 2, it says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing, uh, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the idea. We want for people in the workplace to adorn God. Another way to say it is we want to make the teachings of Christ more attractive to the world. 
We want people in the world to respond to the authority that we have and see that it's different. We as Christ followers, we want to be the hardest workers. We want to have the most integrity. We want to take the high road. If people go one mile, we want to go two. We want to be an example because we beat to a different drum. We serve a higher authority. You might work in the medical field. You might work as a school teacher. You might work in sales. You might work a trade. But even though you're under an authority in, in those instances, you serve a higher authority in Christ. You work as to him rather than man. I played soccer in college, and um, we always had to do the same warm-ups. Every game, the captain would lead our warm-ups, or, or maybe the coach, usually it was the captain. And, and so we'd all line up, and when we'd do this thing, we'd do high knees, okay? Did high knees, and then, uh, then we'd do butt kicks, okay? Do that. Ooh, I pulled something, okay? Um, and then we'd do this thing where we'd kind of shuffle in and out. I can't do it anymore. Uh, and, and so we do all these different things. And we would go through them, and it was so mundane, and it was just to get us warmed up. The captain was always a step or two ahead of us. And so I remember my freshman year, and I would, you know, do my warm-ups, and I would be obedient, and there was always these upperclassmen. When the captain wasn't looking, they would walk, they would laugh, they would do their own warm-ups, and then the captain would turn around, and they'd be back to their work, right? Always happened. Or the coach is walking by, and he's got his clipboard, and he's like, oh, you know, seeing who's taking it serious, and they would practice really hard. And then right when he turned away, they would uh, go back to their doing whatever they were doing. Maybe that was some of you guys, right? Maybe when coach isn't looking, when captain isn't looking, you would be okay with, with doing whatever. But what's interesting to me is away from the coach's eye, there was no energy, there was no enthusiasm, there's no heart, there's no honor, there's no respect. In the same way, how many of us treat the God-given authority in our lives the same way? That, that we more... When, when, when the boss is looking, everything's good, but when he turns away, it, it's like we're doing nothing at all. You know, again, maybe we struggle with our boss, and, and if we're real, I've heard some of the stories, and we got some challenging bosses. Some of you are smart, you just started your own businesses, right? You just have to fight with yourself, uh, but some of us... I, I think about it. It's like, Winston, you don't understand how wrong this person is. We have to remember when we deal with non-believers in authority, we want them to know Jesus. We, we want them to turn their lives around. Isn't that the ultimate goal? Don't don't we see the word when he says, I desire all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth? 
And us as ambassadors, as image bearers, we are those people that can be used by God to be that example to them. We respond the way God calls us to respond. Why? For the sake of the gospel. For him. Whether it's in worship, at a church, or in the home, your parents, government, workplace. Now how do we respond to bosses who are Christians? To God-given authority who are believers. We see in his word in verse 2, we are to serve better to bless our spiritual family. We are to serve better to bless our spiritual family. Look at verse 2. This is what it says. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good services are believers and beloved, teach and urge these things. Okay, so we see here Paul and um, the major rub in the church. And this is what, what, when I was studying, when I was digging into the text, reading commentaries, really the, the rub is this. We had these, these Christian masters and these Christian bond servants. And to, to be honest, they probably just in the last year or couple of years had, had given their lives to Christ. And so now these bond servants are like, hey, I, I can treat you worse now because we're brothers in Christ. Like, almost like I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity I have. And so what we see here is Paul saying, no, hey, it doesn't matter, non-Christian, Christian, we're supposed to honor and respect them. But if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, serve them all the better. Some of you serve under Christian authority. We are called to serve all the better. In the household of God, with those who who God has called us to serve under, we have to remember that all the better, this, this is, I don't want us to take this lightly. You know, this Greek word is the word Milan. And Milan has to do with making something more highlighted, more elevated than your counterparts. So in this case, it is, it is outshining another with the intensity that you have. So again, when we serve under brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to serve in a way, not out of competitiveness, but to outshine because the intensity that we possess. Why? Because we serve a greater authority. Because we serve our Lord. Man, we covered everything in this text. You know, you think about the last four, five, six weeks. I mean, he's covering everything. He, he's telling, okay, Timothy, this is how a church should be structured. This is who should lead the church. This is how the church should be run. Oh, and then he talks about different people. Hey, these widows are being forgotten. We got to love the widows. We got to love the marginalized. We got to love those who are hurting. 
oh yeah, treat your pastors nice. Be nice to me, all right? Like, love your pastors. And uh, this is how you treat your pastors, your shepherds, your elders. This is how you treat one another. Oh yeah, and probably a third of the church are bond servants. This is how you're supposed to be with someone who is your master, who's an authority in your life. But all this to be said, the heart of a Christian is servitude. Isn't that the heart of a Christian? You think about the the union of marriage, husband and wife. It's servitude. It's it's taking that relationship and, and saying, I will put your needs ahead of my own. I will honor and respect and submit to you. You think about parents. I love my kids, but I don't always like them. <laughs> they are precious. They are adorable. But just wait till you see them in my house. It's kind of scary. <laughs> when I had kids... And then I decided to have another, oh, and another kid. I remember just being like, hmm, I have no life anymore. <laughs> Man, I love these little people. <laughs> and, and I give my life, and I, and I work just to pay bills for them, right? <laughs> and I'm, college and cars, and it doesn't end. That's what I've heard. It never ends. I'm not scared. But the thing is this. <laughs> Once you become a parent, it just it it changes everything as well. You live and you serve them. You have responsibility for them. You are a steward for them to raise them up in Christ. What about our spiritual community? Got a lot of people in this room. It's kind of cool, right? In a couple of weeks, starting a, a third service, my voice is gonna be dead by the time this service comes. So I'll have like a, a mic even closer. Or maybe I'll do one of those computers that reads for me. Did that work? It's like, hello, Jesus loves you. Okay? But um, <laughs> that wasn't in the notes. That was just original stuff, right? Uh, <laughs> but you think about in our church, we got five, six, seven staff. We got elders, deacons. Man, we got buckets of volunteers. We have so many people who serve in so many different capacities. Because we're not just a church that has a couple staff. We're a church of people that serve and are in community. And, and, and that's the beauty of church is we serve one another. We use our gifts to serve one another. There's a reason I don't sing on stage or, or play the drums. Because that's not my gift. It would be a curse, right? And, and that's okay. That is perfectly fine. And we have all these amazing areas where we can serve with the giftedness we have. That's why we always put the, the pressure on, man, we just don't want you to sit in a seat. We want you to get plugged in. Because Christian community, we serve one another. I've done a bunch of weddings. I did youth ministry for years. And so a lot of these kids are now getting married, getting hitched. And uh, so I've seen and witnessed a lot of different weddings and, and one of the things I've noticed is there's a lot of special elements in weddings. You guys know what I say when I, when I mean when I say special elements like um, the sand ceremony, right? Uh, maybe it's a unity candle. I've seen people take communion. I, I, I've seen uh, the three chords. 
Uh, recently, I saw uh, someone had a cross, and it was like a puzzle, and they put the cross together. It was, it was really cool. Is there anything I'm missing? Foot washing. I've only seen this at two of the weddings I've either went to or done. And there's just something about this special element of foot washing. And, and if you don't have any clue what I'm talking about, it's this. It's, you know, Christ washed the disciples' feet. He, he did this as an image of service. And, and so going into marriage, the special element is, is this woman in probably a thousand, two thousand dollar dress. And she gets on one knee and she washes the feet of her husband. And the man likewise gets on one knee and he washes the feet of his wife. When Jesus did this, you remember what he said? Do likewise. When we serve brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to serve them all the better. Unless they have bunions, don't wash their feet, right? And that, that's when it gets, I ruined a good moment, okay? But this is it, guys. Being a servant is being a follower of Christ. Serving is, is the essence of, of Jesus. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so when we hear this, serve all the better, we're serving a brother, we're serving a sister. But let me talk about the elephant in the room. Sometimes it's harder to serve, to work for another believer. If some of you have worked for, for a brother or sister in Christ, sometimes it's harder because you hold them to a different standard. If your boss, who's not a Christian, is disrespectful to you, is rude to you, is slimy to you, you palate that a little better because you know they're not a Christian. But when you serve for someone who does love Jesus, maybe even part of your church, ooh, that gets a little uncomfortable. Because when tension comes around, or maybe they do something that's wrong, it just it's disappointing. It's awkward when there has to be accountability. And, and so we see in this Ephesian church that that was something they were wrestling through, whether taking advantage of their Christian master or, or, or just not understanding what God calls us to. Regardless, always remember, Christians under authority serve a higher authority. So let's go back to that first question we talked about. How should we live in response to the God-given authority over us? How do, we, how do we respond? Better yet, how are we doing 
Don't think about your friend. Don't think about family. Think about you for just a moment. Let's reflect. How are you doing right now under the authorities in your life? In the workplace? Do you speak well of them when they aren't around to defend themselves? Do you work as, in, as to the Lord rather than man? What about politics? Do we show respect and honor to the God-given political authorities in our life right now? It's a tough one at times. <laughs> what about in church? How have we responded to our spiritual authorities that God has placed over us? You know, one way we do this in the modern church is we, we talk membership. And membership's an interesting thing because really when someone says, hey, I want to be a member of a church, they're saying like, hey, I'm planting my flag. This is my Christian community. This is where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to come under the leadership, the authority of the church. This is where I allow people to speak into my life, to be accountable to me. And sometimes people, they might, by not becoming a member, by not becoming part of a church, it's not because of past, it's just past hurts. Maybe there's an authority issue. Or they've been hurt by authority. There's been spiritual abuse. So whether it's the workplace, the home, politics, your church, never forget we serve a higher authority. You know, uh, we talk often, we, we don't want the gospel to be reviled. We don't want the gospel to look down on. And one thing that we do each month is we actually, we take communion. And when we take communion, I mean, this is, this is the gospel. And, and you think about communion, and, and we're going to do that just here in a moment. And, and, and I love it because communion is a time for us to reflect we can look back, we can meditate on our life, see how it's been, see if we've been honoring to Christ, if there's sin in our life, if there's something God is calling us to. Uh, another thing as well is, is we remember that Jesus is coming back. He's, he is. And, and some of us, we are weary, and we don't like the news, and, and we just, we think of this world, and it hurts. It just hurts. Jesus is coming back, and that's our hope. He's, he's returning, and he will make things right. We get to do that in communion. And also, we remember what he did for, for you, for me, for us, the sacrifice that he made for us. I, I never want that to just be a phrase that's uttered from my mouth. I want to remember he died for me. He died so we could have eternal life. And we want everyone to come along. And so if there's people in this room this morning that have never given your life to Christ, let this morning be that time. Don't wait. Do not wait. 
if there's questions, if there's concerns, we talk about our, our prayer ministry. They're at the Connect Desk after every service. They would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. Our elders would love to talk to you. We, we, want, we want this to be an opportunity that people can go all in for Jesus. And, and when we take communion, it's a sobering moment because we remember his return, we remember his sacrifice, we meditate on, on where we are in our own faith. But it's a time we can do this as a church. That's one of my favorite parts. We get to do this together. So at this time, I want us to take about 30 seconds just to calm our spirits, calm our hearts before we take communion. Just meditate, close your eyes before we go into this. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take the bread. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me I drink the cup let us pray Father, thank you again so much that we get to remember you each week. And I know we, once a month, we take communion together. But every week we want your name to be remembered and your gospel that you came, you lived, you died for us. And we can be messy, we can be hard-headed, stubborn. Could fight authority, but let us let us listen today that you have given us a new way, a new authority under you. As we remember you, Father, let's never forget those nails that pierce the flesh. Let's never forget the whips on the back hanging up on that cross, the wounds rubbing against the wood, excruciating, painful. Let's never forget that when you were on that cross, you could have called out for legions of angels, and yet you were as a sheep led to its slaughter, silent. 
At that moment, you could have cursed, threatened those who are spitting on you, who are mocking at you, laughing. And yet you offered up a prayer, forgive them because they know not what they do. That's my Lord and that's my Savior. And to him, we give him all glory because we want to make your name beautiful. We want to make your bride beautiful. And we want everyone to be saved. We love you, Father. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.